let's turn now to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, we're in verse 11, uh, picking up this week. And we're going to start in verse 11, finish the chapter. Let's read through the text, and then we'll pray, and then we'll study. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this passage. I pray that uh, that you would enable us to understand it where there needs to be conviction and repentance i pray that there would be where there should be encouragement i pray that there would be but i do pray that we would become a mature church that we would grow not simply in numbers lord but more importantly in christ likeness that we would truly be people of the word in our time in our devotions in our study and in our practice that we might corporately grow into the image of christ and bring glory to his name amen amen okay when you're a pastor and you go to visit somewhere and somebody wants a one-off sermon like a hit and run job you know a one hit wonder you just kind of you drive into town you preach a sermon off you go again this is one of those passages that's often a popular one it's one of those standalone passages you know about needing the word maturing in the word and, and and what have you you can you can do that and the challenge for me as a pastor as i come to this passage today is to not do that this is not a one hit wonder it is not a passage in isolation it is part of the flow of hebrews and as always no surprises you regulars will know that what is being taught in this passage is built upon what has gone before and will be built upon by what follows and there are connections with words and themes that we will see here and so even for those of you who are familiar with this passage that you can understand the basic principle that is being taught here there is much in the way of context that will give greater light and greater depth to this passage so i'm going to be careful not to do a topical sermon on the importance of the bible but rather to just continue to teach through hebrews as we go on our journey and so as we come to verse 11 having been through the previous um four and a half chapters of the book when he says about this literally about whom we have much to say it is hard to explain the this the whom that he is referring to is melchizedek 
who has been tantalizingly mentioned a few times already in this book. And there's certain people who I know smile every time I say it because you want me to get into it. And we will get into it. When we come to chapter 7, we will be talking about Melchizedek and about his priestly order. All we know thus far, or we've needed to know thus far, is that while Aaron was a high priest in the Levitical priesthood, that was a system of being high priest, whereby there were the sacrifices that were made um, throughout the year, specifically on the Day of Atonement, the different feasts and festivals, there would be um, this, this sacrificial system that would make the people right with God for a temporary period of time and that those sacrifices were made by the high priest representing the people on behalf of those people making this sacrifice to God. We know that Christ is now our high priest but he is our high priest in a different priestly order, a different system. That his sacrifice is one that is made for the people, but not a temporary one, one that appeases the wrath of God against sin for all time. And so we know the outline of what this means, but the details we haven't had yet, and the details, as I say, will come in chapter 7. But he takes a bit of a, a, a detour at this point. He takes a bit of a detour, because he's basically saying, look, end of the previous section, verse 10, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom I, I want to talk about this priesthood, I want to talk about Melchizedek, I want to talk about Christ as high priest in this order, and there's so much I want to say to you, but I can't because you're babies. That's pretty much what he's saying. I'd love to tell you about this, but you, you can't handle it. You're not ready for it. It uh, it's, uh, makes me think of that line from Jack Nicholson. You can't handle the truth. It's a, li it's a little bit like that. It's kind of, you know, um, I want to teach you stuff, but I can't. You're not ready for it. And that, that's the gist of it, but there's a lot of details to that within here that we need to see and we need to understand. Um, so he says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now it is hard to explain things that are complex, that require maturity to understand. The pastor's job is a very difficult one. To be a, to be a teacher of the word is a difficult thing. You imagine being a math teacher. I keep wanting to pluralize it, but I'm going to be American for today. Math. We say maths in England, but to be a math teacher. Let's imagine you're a math teacher, and here you are teaching a class math. And in doing so, you have people who maybe are young children at the front, and they're struggling with simple multiplication. And then across a little bit, you've got maybe some slightly older children. They can do multiplication. That's simple stuff. But they struggle a bit with long division. And, and then a bit further back, there's some slightly older kids. And, and they're, they're into basic algebra. These kids at the front, they don't know what X means at all. Why are, you, why are you using letters? What's that all about? But there's some others that are doing basic algebra. But the, there's others further back. They've done their basic algebra. They're doing the complicated stuff as they see it, but of course, 
That's pretty simple for the guys at the back who are doing calculus now. Now, you imagine teaching that math class every week. That would be a nightmare. How do all those kids go away learning, moving on? How do you make sure that the kids who are doing long, you know, uh, multiplication, you know, at the front here, how do they go away having not just lost themselves completely, and yet the people who need to do calculus have learned something? Guys, that's my job every week. It's a nightmare. But the reality is, is that in a church there are people who need milk. You need the basic principles. I hope, I'm, I'm, I think I'm fairly safe saying this, that nobody is going to come to this church two weeks running, free at an absolute push, and not hear the gospel. I think I'm pretty safe in saying that. We, we, we are constantly talking about the sacrifice of Christ. We're constantly talking about the most, the most basic, milky concept. The thing that you all have to know to even begin your journey of life. But then there are times when you come to church and it's kind of Melchizedek stuff. And on those weeks, I've got to make sure that the basic concepts, like I just explained about Melchizedek, are understandable. But those who have been Christians for 10, 20 years are learning new things. It's always a challenge and a struggle. And part of the way that that operates in a church is that I'm not the only teacher. You're all teachers. All of you. The issue isn't, are you teachers? The issue is, are you good teachers? Are you qualified teachers? Are you doing it well? I don't mean teachers in the sense of having the responsibility to teach a group formally, to having a position of leadership. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about parents teaching their kids. I'm talking about friends teaching one another. I'm talking about people opening the scriptures together and, and, and being excited together. That's what I'm talking about. And he, he is going to rebuke the Hebrew church here. These, these, these Hebrew churches, more, more likely, certainly the Hebrew church in Jerusalem, and he's going to rebuke them because he's saying, you're supposed to be teaching each other, but I've got to go back and just teach you basic stuff again. But that has to sometimes, unfortunately, be done. So things are hard to explain. They're not always easy. And sometimes I have to communicate difficult things. You want an example of a difficult sermon? You come next week. David read ahead for us this morning when it talks about those who, uh, it being impossible for those who have once been enlightened and then tasted the heavenly gift and then fallen away to turn in repentance and, you know, people teach you can lose your salvation from that passage. You want a difficult passage? We got one next week. So you can come and we can have an example of that immediately afterwards. But there are some things that are hard to explain. See, but the problem isn't, the problem isn't that there are things that are more difficult. That's not the problem. The problem is that they have become dull of hearing. That's the problem. Now, what's really interesting to me here is the use of the word become. This is going to actually be a really important word as we go through this passage. They have become dull of hearing. In other words, they weren't always at that place. It's something that had happened. I don't think that what is being spoken of here in this passage is the possibility of somebody becoming a Christian, 
growing into infanthood from their first moments of life and then just staying there. I think sometimes we misunderstand the text that way. That some people just don't ever grow up. And it can look like that. But I don't think that ever happens. What happens is, is that people are consciously making decisions to not grow up and as a result are going backwards. It's like trying to stand still on a moving treadmill. You just roll off the back. And the reality is, is that these people had heard truth, but had become dull in their hearing. The word dull here is a word that literally means uh, not uh, having any push. Sluggish, other translations will say. And, and the, the word has an implication of laziness an implication of not doing what should and could be done. It's not that they were like, I really want to hear what he's got to say. I, I, just, I just can't quite hear it. My hearing's going with age or something like that. That's not what's being talked of here. What's being talked of here is, is are people who can't be bothered to listen, who aren't seeking to listen, who don't want to understand. And that's what they have become. It's what they've become. And he explains the situation, verse 12. For though, as we said, by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be teaching other people the stuff that you know. You know, um, I hope she's comfortable when we talk about this, but my, my first not date, was it? The first time I kind of met my wife properly. We, we'd been to a church meeting and then gone to, uh, tells you how much I've changed over the years, went to McDonald's afterwards. <laughs> that will surprise some of you. It was a long time ago. Um, and uh, we bumped into each other and it's that kind of awkward thing when you recognize someone you've just met like a few hours previously and you're like, am I, am I obliged to say hello here, you know? We're literally behind each other in the queue, in a line, you guys say. And uh, so, you know, we're polite and we end up talking and we get talking. Anyway, we sat down and we, we started talking. And our first time we had a proper chat, we spent several hours and I had just, I just discovered expository teaching. I just had somebody going, you know, uh, many of you guys know Arnold Fruchtenbaum. He's coming back in November for another conference, by the way. But uh, I was listening to his teaching tapes and he was taking me verse by verse through Romans. You know, I think going through Romans verse by verse for the first time is, is sort of a landmark in all of our Christian lives, isn't it? I mean, it's just, you're just like, what? What? Wow! It's just this constant journey of excitement. And I was, I think I was up to like chapter seven or something at that point, you know, and I was just bubbling over with excitement. So poor Jen had like an hour of me go, do you know that God can't be angry with us anymore? Do you know that, that, that it, it, you know, that the blood of Christ has covered all of our sin? And it wasn't a formal teaching. I didn't stop her from interrupting. But there was just this very natural, normal, um, instinctive, as, as natural as breathing moment where there was something that I'd just been taught 
I wasn't mature in my understanding of scripture at that point. I was just starting to learn. But I was really excited about it. And fortunately, she was excited enough as well to put up with me talking about it and to, and to be excited too. That's how it is. You, you're a teacher. This, this, if, if you hear stuff in the sermons on Sunday that touches your life, You've got a responsibility. In fact, you've got, you've got two responsibilities. You've got a responsibility to live it out, and you've got a responsibility to sh pass it on, share it. And, and the main reason that people don't share it, that people don't pass it on, that people don't teach it, is because they're not living it. They're not saying, that's just great, I want to do that, I want to understand that, I, I want to embrace that. And because they don't want to embrace it, there's no sharing of it or passing it on. You see, the problem for these guys is not that they haven't been taught the truth. He says, look, he says, you need someone to teach you again. In other words, we've, we've done this lesson. You know this stuff. You think what this whole book's been about. You have these people who are Jews. They've grown up in the Levitical system. And now they've come to recognize that Jesus Christ is their Jewish Messiah. And that in his death and burial and resurrection, he has replaced the Levitical order with this new order. That his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for paying the price for sin for all time. That this pivotal moment in history that everyone had been waiting for had happened in their lifetime. And they knew this. They, they understood the gospel. That's why they were saved. That's why they come to, to be Christians. And what were they thinking about doing? Going back to the Levitical system. Why? persecution was the problem that they didn't understand no they'd understood they'd been taught the problem is that they weren't embracing it they weren't living it they weren't doing it they were having second thoughts about it they were hoping that what they could do is go from being Christians to going back to being Jews again just while the persecution was bad and they could come back to being Christians again afterwards How many times have you heard a sermon and there's been a particular point and you've gone, oh yeah, that's for me. And then six months later you hear another sermon, same point made, ah, oh, yeah, that's for me. We're these stubborn sheep. We've just got to be told again and again and again. He says, you should be teaching this stuff to other people, but now someone is going to have to teach you again because you're not doing it. And what do they need to be taught? The basic principles of the oracles of God. The milk. The milk. I know it's hard for us in our society because, you know, everyone's drinking milk from cartons and stuff, but you know, the picture here is of a suckling child. That's the picture. And so you have a small child who, and remember in that culture, children would often be breastfeeding, at least in part, right the way through to the age of three or four, or even, even beyond. 
uh, very normal to those cultures and, and to most cultures historically. So you're talking about young children who are <coughs> receiving their nutrients and their, their, their food from their mother's milk. Now, <coughs> to us, seeing a kid of three or four <coughs> breastfeeding might be strange. It wasn't to them. That's kind of the junior childish uh, picture that's being painted here, that kind of age group. I think we'd all agree if it was a 12-year-old, that would be a little bit freaky and a little bit weird, wouldn't we? A little bit strange, to say the least. <coughs> and, um, you know, 20, 30, 40, you know, still going to your mother for food, that, that's, that, needs, that person needs help, right? That's the, that's the very awkward, weird, and uncomfortable picture that he's painting. He's shaming them. You should be embarrassed. You, you, should be, you should be running around, eating the same as everybody else, sitting at the table, being part of the whole scene, and you're, you're still needing to be breastfed? He's shaming them. He's painting a picture that will embarrass them. And quite frankly, there are a lot of Christians who need to be embarrassed. Because the basic principles, which are great and wonderful and should be taught and should be known, and we do need to hear again and again. Peter talks in First uh, Peter 2. Um, he says, uh, Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You become a Christian, you, you don't want to suddenly be, oh, you, be, you, you got saved at the meeting last week. That's wonderful. Let me tell you all about Melchizedek. <laughs> that, that's not what you want to do. There, there, there is a place for the basic principles, and we need to love the basic principles. Hey, I, I, I'm, as, I'm probably more excited about the gospel now than I have been at any point in my Christian life. So this is good stuff, right? Basic principles are great. But you know why I'm more excited about the gospel than I've ever been in my Christian life? Because I know it better, deeper, richer. The foundations of the gospel. I'm learning month by month how the gospel, how, how, how intricate, I'm following the system of roots from the gospel of the New Testament and how it finds its, 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 its genesis in Genesis and right the way through and following those strands through the Bible. And the more I see the gospel being expressed, not just in a statement like in um, 2 Corinthians 5 or something, not just in a statement that we can quote, but actually seeing it develop from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, right the way through, and seeing the gospel come to fruition right the way through to Revelation, my, my belief in it, my excitement about it, and my understanding of it just continues to grow. That's milk to meat. That's milk to solid food. That's growing. That's maturing. It, it seems frustrating for me to preach against a constant diet of milk when probably, without exaggeration, 90% of evangelical, meaning people who are Christian in the sense that they believe in the Bible as the Word of God, evangelical Christians saying, I believe that the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation, this is the Word of God. People who believe that, 90% of them would be better off 
on a diet of pure milk. Because what they're getting is a diet of very impure, limited milk. With a lot of additives and colourings and poisons and other dross being thrown in for good measure. So it seems frustrating to me that here I am at the text saying, come on, we don't want to have a diet of milk. You should be shamed at having a diet of milk. But the church in this country is in such a terrible state that 90% of evangelical Christians would be better off on a diet of milk. That's why we're seeing church after church capitulate on, on historical Christian doctrines that haven't been debated for centuries. Heresies that were dealt with in the first few centuries after Christ are, re, are being regurgitated in the church again today. Why? Because people aren't getting any nutrients at all. And those people would do very, very well going to a church where they're literally going to be literally, not literally, obviously, where they're going to figuratively be breastfed uh, in, in the basic doctrines for several years just to ground them in what it means to be a Christian. Again and again and again, I deal with Christians, particularly coming out of the extreme ends of the charismatic wing of the church, who are talking to me in terms, and I'm like, you have more, the way you're thinking, the way you're processing, the way you're looking at scripture, you have more in common with Eastern mysticism and superstition than you do with anything that's even vaguely related to biblical Christianity. And in so many of these churches, when you combine a total misunderstanding of God's word with a bunch of superstition thrown in, a, a bunch of misunderstanding thrown in, and on top of that, you're creating this wonderful, cool environment so that everybody's being entertained, then you just end up with a whole church where there's sheep and goats side by side and nobody knows who's who. It's a mess. They need milk. But that's not what our text is talking about. So I'll get that off my chest. <laughs> Done. Then we have those who do go to a church where they are given milk. To qualify for milk, you've got to be taught the Bible. And, and I know it, it's the most frustrating phrase in the world because you say, taught the Bible, and everyone says, yeah, I'm taught the Bible, yeah, our church teaches the Bible. And then you hear what is passed as Bible teaching and you go, yeah, not what I was talking about. You, I'm talking about the text. I'm talking about unpacking scripture. I think it's... Although it's possible to teach the Bible in topical series, and we've done topical series here once or twice and what have you, I think if your church typically is not going verse by verse through books in what we would call expository teaching, understanding what the text means in context and making application of it and going verse by verse within that context, if you're not doing that, it's not really Bible teaching in my book at all. If that's not your predominant method of teaching. But there are some churches that do teach verse by verse, but they never get beyond the milk. They're, they're always just dealing at the same level again and again. There's entire affiliations that have made their, their, their very purpose to be um, a constant drip feed of milk. That They take pride in it almost. We just teach the simple stuff here. Well, that's why you've got churches full of simple people. Because all you do is teach simple stuff. You have churches that are full of children. I once uh, 
knew a, a family and the, the mother of his family, she said, oh, people said to me, hey, have you, have you ever been to Bible college? And she says, well, I've been under Pastor so-and-so's teaching for 20 years, so I guess I have been. Well, newsflash, lady, having milk non-stop for 20 years is no substitute for having solid food for just a few years. You know, you, 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 I, I struggle with it, but there are churches that literally take, their, take pride in the fact we only teach simple stuff here. Everybody can understand what we're saying. Listen, if you leave every sermon understanding everything that I've said, week after week after week, I'm failing you. How are you ever going to grow? If you're not learning new stuff, if it's not stuff that's challenging you, if it's not stuff that's testing you, we've got to grow. We've got to mature. That's our purpose. That is our goal. It's not only here that the Hebrews has a problem. Paul, to the Corinthian church, uh, he spoke to them in, um, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 and said pretty much the same thing. He says, brothers, um, uh, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready. Why? For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? That's important. What Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 3 and what the writer to the Hebrews is doing here is not simply saying you need to have heavier doctrine, do more advanced studies, you know, go off to Bible college, that kind of stuff. He's not simply saying that. He's saying you need to press on to maturity by taking this milk and applying it and living it. And it, he's, Paul's saying, if you're still in the flesh, if you're still living according to your own sinful desires, then you still need milk. You still need it. Because if you don't, if you don't have that maturity, You've got to be taught the basic things so that you can just live a basic Christian life. You have to. And the other side of it is this. If you only ever get given milk, you're only ever going to be able to live a Christian life to a certain level of maturity. You're always going to come to the same problems again and again. One of the, one of the tragedies of social media has been seeing people Jen and I were talking about this just the other day at home, seeing people who we were at church with 20 years ago, who 20 years later are just in exactly the same place. Just same level of teaching, same issues in their lives, same, just not moving on, just not progressing in their life, not progressing in their understanding, just, just stuck. And it's a tragedy. You see, that point that this is more than knowledge and it's about maturity in applying is, comes very clear in the last part of 12 and first part of verse 13. He says, you need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. If you're constantly living on milk, 
then you're unskilled, with, literally without experience in the word of righteousness. You've got to take the word, understand it, and start to apply it. You've got to do the things that it says. You've, you've got to not become dull and sluggish. I don't want to hear that. It's too difficult. Um, it's not just difficult in the sense of, what this, what's this Melchizedek stuff about? But it's difficult in the sense of, I, I don't want to have to do that. That's, that, that's too much of a sacrifice. That, that, that it wouldn't work out if I did that. that, that I understand that's what we should be doing, but that, that's, that's not for me. I can't do that right now. It's this rejection of God's word that for these people is ultimately ending up with them looking to return to the temple and to leave the church. And so if we're unskilled, then we're a child. We're a child. It's interesting here in verse 12, where he says, but by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again, the basic principle of the always of God, and then it says, in my version it says, you need milk, not solid food. What it literally says, is it says, you have become in need of milk. He's repeated, it's not there in most English translations, but he's repeated the word become. That's an imp very important we see these connections. This is part of the, the solid food, guys, here. Seeing these connections and getting these links. He, he's saying, look, you were given milk, you had the basic principles, you knew what you were doing, right? But you haven't done what you should have been doing. And so you've gone from those being taught those basic principles, you've become dull of hearing, and you've become in need of milk again. When you were given the milk, you didn't need it again. You had it. There it is. There's a the teaching. Go do it. But you haven't done it. You've rejected it. So now you have become in need of that milk again. Do you see what I'm saying about not... It's not about saying you become a baby and then you stay there forever. There is a movement here. Fed, what are you going to do? You're going you're to do it, you're going to live it, you're going to move on from it. No, I'm going to become dull of hearing. I'm going to become in need of milk again. I'm going to move backwards. And ultimately, what happens is falling away. We'll talk about apostasy next time. We're going to talk about what chapter 6, verses, uh, verse 3 and 4 mean, which is one of the hardest passages in the Bible. But we're going to talk about that. But what we have before us is people who are basically saved, they, they believe in the gospel, they love Jesus, and they're thinking about walking away from it. Now let's not talk about the difficult issues for now of salvation and, and what have you, but it is a tragedy when people have been given enough understanding and they walk away. It's a tragedy when Romans 8 verse 1 says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as I explained to you when we referenced that a few weeks back, the context of that passage is not, it is not there being no condemnation because you're saved and therefore you're going to be forgiven and therefore you're going to go to heaven. And everybody quotes that verse out of context and that, by the way, is the kind of milk I'm talking about. 
the verse in context is talking, end of chapter 7, about that struggle that we have, where there's things that we want to do, but we don't do them, and there's things that we don't want to do, we end up doing them, and we're wrestling because we have this new nature, the Spirit of God within us, and yet we have this old nature, this sin nature that wants to sin, and there's this battle going on, and what Paul says is there's no condemnation anymore. You don't have to be, go through this condemned lifestyle where though you're saved, you're living like you're not. That's childhood. That's immaturity. You're just just doing the same sins again and again and again. When the very spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives within us. The power of God that took death and made it life. The power of God that took Saul on the Damascus road and put new life into him and transformed him. That same spirit indwells us. He's gifted us and empowered us. And yet the the devil says, oh no, you're always going to be like that. And we say, oh, well, I guess we are then. That's immaturity. Right there. And we've got to move on. And we've got to grow up. And we've got to go beyond that place. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. This is your training camp. I'll I'll probably turn there in a minute. I think it may be good to deal with these principles and then come to it when we've talked about it a bit more. But Ephesians 4 talks about how a church matures how the church grows, how it matures, how it should be, how it should function. And Paul specifically says that the job of the pastors and teachers is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, I'm, I'm a pastor, that's my job, that's what I am. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be called pastor, I'm happy to be called teacher. But one of the terms that is often used for people in my profession is one that you should never use to me because I don't like it. Never call me minister. In England, it's really common. Oh, you're the minister. No, I'm not. I'm the pastor. And you know why I hate it? Because there's this idea that there's a person who's paid in a church and that person does everything. He does ministry. You know? Windows need washing, light bulbs need changing, people need counselling, people need teaching, things need to be open, unlocked. The, the, the minister does ministry. So what do the rest of you do? Oh, we just turn up on Sunday. Sometimes chuck a bit of money in, turn up if we feel like it. You know, that's what we... That's not church. I am the equipper. My job is to equip you. It's to train you in these these skills. It's to give you the milk. It's to give you the solid food. It's to teach you the basic oracles, the more advanced oracles. It's to show you what the Word says about what the Christian life looks like. And then you are equipped. But you are the ministers. To equip you for the work of ministry. And too many Bible teaching, even by my definition, verse by verse, through the scriptures, too many Bible teaching churches in America are like cinemas, like theatres. People walk on in, get fed, walk on out. That is not church. This is not me entertaining you. 
gosh, if you wanted to be entertained, don't come here. This is not the place. I'm here to feed you. I'm here to equip you. I'm here to try and say, look, see what the text says. See these links. See the context. See the background. This is what it means. Go. Have it. It's yours. Then your job is using the gifts that you've been given by the Spirit of God and the empowering that you have because he indwells you to live and to minister. And remember, ministry is never for you. Ministry is always for other people. Your gifts are not for you. You might not even like your gifts. Your gifts are for other people. They're there to bless and serve others. Other people's gifts are for you. So that's good news. You're outnumbered. There's one of you and there's lots of other people. So there's more people ministering to you than you're ministering to. Yeah? You, you, you're serving, you're not serving yourself, but everybody else is serving you, so everyone's in a good place, right? If we're all doing our job. If we're all doing our job. If we're all ministering. But I don't think that you can have maturity where people file in and file out. I don't believe, you know, we've come to the age of a celebrity pastor, people listen to sermons online, and we listen to the doctrine, and we say, oh, that's just great, that's just wonderful. And there's people I know who listen to good teaching. Good teaching. Pastors that I would recommend. They listen to good teaching. And they don't even turn up at their church most Sundays. Oh, I get the teaching I need online. Baby. By definition, baby. Immature, breastfeeding infant. By definition. Let's, let's turn to Ephesians 4 now. I, I, we've, got to, we've got to understand what maturity looks like, because otherwise we fake it. We think we're doing it and we're not. So uh, Ephesians 4, verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets. Hey, where's your apostles and prophets, guys? Right here. I got me my apostles and prophets right in front of me. 66 books of it. By the way, if anybody ever says they're an apostle, that's a good sign to leave. To walk away. Why? Because Paul says in Ephesians 2 that the, that the apostles and prophets are the foundation of a church. If you pay for someone to fix your roof or to do some, put some new windows in and they start digging up the foundations, you don't want to employ that person, right? The foundations are in place. That's the apostles and prophets. The evangelists and the shepherds or pastors and teachers. Now, so with a conjunction of the Bible, people who are gifted in evangelism, who lead people to salvation, and pastors, teachers, we equip, to equip the saints. Saints, that's everybody all of us, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So who does ministry? It's not the equippers, it's the saints. The saints are equipped to do ministry. That's how the church works. For ministry, why ministry? What's ministry for? For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature 
manhood, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. See, that's maturity right there. And notice in that passage about how we mature and how we stop being children, words like all, words like unity. Maturity happens because all of the saints do the work of ministry to one another so that we grow together. So if you think that you can sit at home, watch sermons online and become a mature Christian, you're completely and utterly wrong. Not me, Apostle Paul saying it. He's just telling us very clearly that the way that we mature, that we become Christ-like, that we stop being children, is by being equipped, getting that word, and then using it for ministry. Our own lives, our ministry to one another, that's what he's talking about. So the writer of Hebrews, and don't leave Ephesians because I'm going to be there one second longer, but the writer of the Hebrews, he's basically saying, I've taught you what you need to know, you've had this food, I know you've had it, and yet you're looking at the temple longingly? How can that be? There was someone recently I was talking to who was trying to justify sin and this person I said do do you not think that this is sin and they say yeah I think it's a sin but why are you encouraging sin why are you celebrating sin why are you embracing sin oh well and there's always different reasons and they said well right now I just you know what I just feel closer to God than I've ever felt listen I'm gonna have to be tough on this right now people feeling what God is saying to them has caused more harm to the body of Christ than almost anything else in recent decades. And I don't just mean the obvious stuff. I don't just mean the big sort of, I feel God's telling me to, you know, leave my spouse and run off with somebody else or something like that. I mean, duh, I mean, that's obvious, right? But I'm talking about just just day-to-day stuff, you know? Well, you know, I feel I should be doing this and I feel I should be doing that. Do you know how destructive that is? This is what we have to tell us what God is saying to us. You don't have to kind of wait for a hunch or a feeling. And and the problem is, is that when you have hunches and feelings, they always override the word of God. Yeah, well, I, I, I guess it means that kind of sometimes, but you know, it's not always the case. And, and there's always these excuses, right? This is what the writer to the Hebrews is talking about. And and look at the end of this section in Ephesians. He says, No longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. This is what a child looks like. When the waves come, and by the way, waves, when you look at the context of scripture and the waves, and stuff, we're talking about life, we're talking about challenges, we're talking about trials. When the waves come, they just woof, woof, woof. Just blowing away everywhere. They're like the grass. The wind comes and whoosh, you know which way the wind's blowing because you see the grass going this way or that way. But you've got a nice big strong oak tree, wind blows and it's just still standing there. Not moved not budging. The children are the ones who are just constantly, well, you know, I know the word says this, but here, look at my situation. 
word no longer applies. The wave's just knocking them to and fro. And then as a result of that, linked to that, there is the winds of doctrine. When the word of God ceases to have authority because life overrules it, how you feel overrules it, what you want to do overrules it, what you want to, how you want to live overrules it, then every false doctrine that appeals to you is going to be embraced by you. It's not the embracing of false doctrine that takes away the authority of Scripture. It's the removing of the authority of Scripture that allows for false doctrine. People will listen to teaching. You know, I see this again and again in the church. If someone's in a marriage they don't want to be in and they want to get divorced, they don't go and pick up the books that tell them they can't be divorced. They go pick up the books that tell them they can be divorced. Because they want to hear what they want to hear. And that's why we have this hypocritical situation in the church where Christians are running around saying, you know, well, we condemn same-sex marriage, which we should, but we have a, we have a, a plague of divorce in the church that we no, one, no one mentions or talks about. There's acceptable sins and there's unacceptable sins. And you know what? Big surprise. A whole bunch of other churches that are unacceptable sins are becoming acceptable to them. It's just compromise, 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 compromise. Why? Because when we're told what the Word says, we don't want to do it. And it's never changed from the beginning. There we are. First command. Any tree you like. Help yourself. Bananas, pineapples, apples, pears, nectarines, everything. It's all yours. It's wonderful. Just a smorgasbord. I, I wonder what fruit was like then before we got our hands on it and started hybridizing it. It must have been the most wonderful fruit in the world. Have whatever you like, just not that one tree. And what does Satan say to them? Did God really say? And what do we do? When somebody gets to the point when they start saying, did God, but, but I, I, I can see what you're saying in the text, but did God really say? We do what the writer of Hebrews is doing. Okay, let's get you back on the bottle. Bit more milk. Let's try again. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. Because you can't just keep on going with, with the solid food because they can't handle it. And sometimes you just have to go back to milk. And you have to go back to the gospel. And you have to go back to, this is what discipleship looks like. Denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus. Are you even prepared to do that? I mean, are you prepared to deny yourself? Are you prepared to miss out on happiness? On, on, on your goals, on your dreams, on your passions? Are you prepared to put everything that you're investing your life into in a human sense? Are you prepared to put that all on the line for the sake of Christ? Or is it too high a price? I mean, that's milk. That's basics. And the problem is, is that when people don't get the basics right, they're not ready to deal with the more advanced issues. Let's go back to Hebrews. I need to wrap up. But solid food is for the mature, 
Literally, the, the perfect, the complete, that same group of words that we've seen uh, earlier. Perfect, completion, same, same group of words where Jesus on the cross says, Tetelestai, it is finished. It's complete, it's done, it's perfected, it's mature. All the same group of words. Solid foods for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. The word constant practice is a word that means habit or custom, but it also can mean mature. It's a play on words. You keep doing this and you grow up. That's what happens. You know what? You can trust God. I know you can do it. You know how I know you can do it? Because there was a point in your life when you were a sinner, separate from God, and you said, I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from you. I put my trust in your son's death on the cross. He died in my place. For my, I placed my trust in that. So you can trust God. But unless you constantly practice trusting God, you become dull. You go backwards. You go back to being a child. You need to hear basic stuff again. And you have to be told to simply, look, just trust God all over again. Constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Oh, there's so much more I want. I might come back next week and talk about that more, the distinguishing of good and evil. But we're coming up to a place in Isaiah where he talks about those, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And that the place that's going on. The church today says good is evil and evil is good so often the case. But we only learn to do that because we constantly practice. We have a habit of, of taking in this solid food, of growing and maturing, being able to let the text speak to us rather than us imposing on the text what we want to hear. And the model for this life, for this growth, as always, is Christ. I want to draw your attention as we close back to something in the previous section before this week's passage that we did last time. Verse 9. And being made perfect, and we talked about that, not that he was imperfect and became perfect, but his work was completed, his work was matured. Being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So Jesus, in completing what it was that God had for him, he became the source of salvation for those of us who obey. He was obedient, even to death on a cross. He completed his work, maturity, and now we have eternal life through him. He became that source. I want you to see in that verse three words. Look at the text, okay? Three words. Firstly, perfect. Perfect, mature, complete. It's the same word in Greek. Perfect, mature, complete. He completed what he had to do. Second word I want you to note is became. Became. Being made perfect, he became the source for eternal salvation to all who, third word, obey him. 
obey him. Guys, let's look back at our passage today and see the same. He says, you have become dull of hearing, verse 11. That's that word, become. Verse 12, though it's not in most English translations, he says, you have become in need of milk. You see, here's the model. Jesus became the source of eternal salvation. That was his job in his humanity, was to become our high priest and to become the way for man to be made right with God. And he, he, didn't, he didn't automatically have it. He had to become the source of salvation by being obedient and maturing, completing his work. And immediately after that, the writer of Hebrews says to them, he says, but what have you become? You've chosen immaturity and you've become dull, sluggish, lazy, and you've become in need of milk again. We don't mature by being sluggish. We don't mature by staying in milk. We don't mature by rejecting the word. What was it he said to us again and again in chapters 3 and 4? Don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Don't do it. This is your opportunity to grow. When God speaks to your heart and he says this is wrong or you need to do this, and, and, and you don't harden your heart. You say, God, this scares the living daylights out of me. But I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to obey. You've just opened the door for God in all of his power to lead you to maturity. I just want to complete my work, guys. I just want to do whatever it is that God chose me for, saved me for, and equipped me for. I want to do my job, and I want to get to see him, and for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've got different gifts. Your gifts aren't the same as mine, mine aren't the same as yours. We've all been gifted differently, okay? But don't you want the same? Don't you want the same? Don't you want God to bring you to maturity, to completion, where the very thing that he saved you for, you've, you've done it. But what you have to do if you want to complete your work, if you want to bring your work to maturity, what you have to do is you have to not harden your heart. You have to embrace the word. When you're equipped, you've got to go out and minister. You've got to help the people around you grow up, and they've got to help you grow up. We've got to mature together. We have to grow together. And when you do harden your heart, when you choose immaturity, when you choose not to grow, when you put aside the word, when you reject the word, you condemn those around you to remain in immaturity as well because you're not ministering to them. Every one of these Hebrews who left to the temple are encouraging others to follow in their footsteps. Every one of them is walking away from their work of ministry in the body that they were in. So, what are we going to become? 
Are we going to become whatever it is we were saved to be? Are we going to become mature? Are we going to complete our work? Or are we going to become people who need milk? Are we going to become those who are dull of hearing? Next week, he will encourage us to not take that second path. He will encourage us again to press on to maturity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage, for the, that sometimes we simply need to, to be reminded to grow up to commit to know your word, to study your word, to read your word, to, to know it better, to, to, to get ever deeper into it so that we can handle complex issues, things that are hard to understand, but that we can do so because we've received in our hearts already the milk. May we not harden our hearts. May we not reject your teaching. May we not become those who become dull of hearing. May we not be those who are condemned to just continually live in our sin. But may we be mature. And may we encourage one another into maturity. May we minister one another into maturity through exercising our gifts together. And Lord, as we go out now, whether we go home, whether we go to, to potluck, to fellowship together, May we, be, may we remember we're ministers. May we do ministry. Pray, Lord, that you give us opportunities to be your ministers. Opportunities to share your gospel. Opportunities to encourage. Opportunities to pray. Opportunities to lift people up. To support people. To love people. To help people. To sacrifice and to serve. To minister for the glory of your Son. In whose name we pray. Amen.